Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 17 of the Runner Rams podcast. As always, I'm Gavin Bishow. And I'm Colin Struckman. And today's a little bit of a different episode. Of course, you were I had a game last Wednesday against St. Louis, and they were supposed to have a game yesterday on Saturday against Davidson, which was canceled. But we'll go over that St. Louis game and the upcoming Dayton game on our next podcast, which will come out in a day or two. But today, we got a chance to sit down with WPRI sports reporter, Maury Hirsch-Gordon. Yeah, it was definitely great to talk with him. He obviously wrote a really great piece about the team and David Cox and what's going on right now, because I feel like, you know, a lot of roadie fans need to stop and pause and kind of think about what's going on. So it was definitely a, a great chance to talk to him and kind of bridge the gap. It's a great article. I, I recommend all of you listening, go check that out before. Anyways, he does give a somewhat of a summary of it over the interview, but let's not waste any more time and let's get right into it, Colin. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Running Rams podcast, Maury Hirsch-Gordon. Maury, how are you doing tonight? What's going on, Gavin? Uh, Gavin, what's going on, Colin? How are you guys? Doing good. Great. So obviously, let's start with the main concept here. And more, you wrote a very lengthy and extensive article regarding David Cox and the Rhode Island Rams basketball team a few days ago. And I gave it a read. I know a lot of people on Twitter really, really love the article up in up in arms about this Rowie team and how their struggles have been just monumental. And we haven't seen that in a while at Rowie. And you kind of dissected what really is going, what you think in your mind is what's really going on. So was that just like pent up or was that just like what you thought at the moment? Or was that just like an on the spot thing? Or did you feel that coming for a while now? Yeah. So I think anytime you write a piece like this, um, you have to have some cachet in the bank, right? So it's my third year covering the program, third year at WPRI 12. Um, so I've no- known David Cox through and through, know the program. Um, had known that, like I mentioned in the piece, uh, he had an eight-man rotation a couple years ago and then had a nine-man rotation or nine-man rotation two years ago, I should say, eight-man rotation last year. Um, and we all know that five underclassmen transferred last year, you know, Greg Hammond, Dana Tate, um, Makai Long, Toppin, and Tyrese Martin. So um, we know the tough off season they had in terms of transfers. And then the influx of talent, when you bring in the Mitchells, you bring in, you know, uh, Martin, you bring in Jalen Carey, you bring in Beatran. So <clears throat> to answer your question, Gavin, I would say this started sort of like the end of December. I was never like gung-ho about, you know, writing this column. But you start to put the pieces together when you cover them on a daily basis, right? You know, watch every game like you guys. Uh, I'm on every Zoom call with David Cox, whether it's before or after a game or just a a regular weekly media availability. And I think it's important as a reporter to continue to, you know, take a step away and really look at the big picture, not just get sucked into like, okay, URI is going to go to St. Louis or URI is going to be home against VCU. Really take a step back and, and let's, um, review the overall product. So like I mentioned in the piece, you know, he had that comment in late December about shortening the rotation in the second half. And then against UMass, a team they shouldn't even lose to if UMass has all their dudes in there, let alone twice in a season on your home court, Saturday night, 
primetime ESPN. You know, you've lost two straight coming in. And then Trey Mitchell's out. Noah Fernandez is out. And Antoine Walker is just scoring at will, right? I mean, seven of nine from the floor. He's got 14 points, six rebounds, you know, no turnovers, no fouls. And then the reporter in you goes, wait a minute, why is he on the bench for seven straight minutes in the second half? Why did David Cox sit him the final four minutes of the first half? How, how is the best player in the arena playing nine minutes and sitting more than that in a first half where he was unguardable? So then you start, you know, your wheels start to turn in your head. So I was like, all right, let me jot that down, see if it changes second half. He obviously played a little bit more in the second half, um, but only finished with 24 minutes. I mean, 24 minutes is like, you know, fourth, fifth guy, maybe sixth guy, right? 40% of the game, he's sitting on the bench. So I'm like, all right, I definitely have to, you know, ask him about that. Why do you only play nine minutes? Does he have an injury that we're not accustomed to? You know, he has David Cox hasn't, hasn't told us. Um, does he have a conditioning issue, you know, that hasn't been released? A lot of times there's things like that. But you look at the game and you see he throws down that 360 windmill dunk, right? Guys that are that athletic can usually hang for more than 24 minutes, right? So you put all this together. You knew that he made these comments in December. He hadn't shortened the rotation. You know, like I mentioned in the piece, I talked to Alan Beatran one-on-one when he committed in May. He said, they want me to come in and be the focal point of their offense. Right then and there, I'm like, okay, we know Fats. At that point, Fats hadn't committed to coming back. But if Fats comes back, everything's running through him. He's been a fringe All-American for three years now and a part of, you know, championship teams. So, like, wow, that's like a pretty big promise to bring a guy in. You're putting all these things together. And then I asked him in the press conference, I'm like, straight up, you know, I'm sure you guys saw the video on Twitter. It's like, hey, why did he only play nine minutes in the first half? You know, uh, well, he finished with a career high, 24 points, 16 rebounds, blah, blah, blah. What do I normally play him? Nine or 10 minutes. And in my head, I had to get a quick follow-up. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, normally? I'm like, are we really, are we really that formulaic here? 20 games into a season where you're just sticking to playing what you normally play guys. That just sounded like an answer to me that was for the fifth game in the out of conference or the 10th game of the season, right? Where well, you're still trying to figure pieces out. This guy was scoring at will. Anybody could tell you he was the best player in the gym, right? Leads the conference in field goal percentage. So after I got that answer Saturday night, I was like, you know what? They've lost three straight games. They're underachieving with the talent they have. Um, They've lost some, they've won some games where they probably shouldn't have won. Like it was a pretty lucky call, but that's for another conversation against St. Joe's, right? For Fats to even go to the line, right? And had they lost the game to St. Joe's early on in the season, there would have been bigger issues five weeks ago. So they won, you keep going through the season, right? They've lost a couple, they win a couple, but they've been beating LaSalle's, they've been beating Fordham's, you know, they haven't been, been beating good teams other than VCU, St. Bonaventure early on in the season, sure, but they were coming off a COVID pause. And we saw what a COVID pause affected a great St. Louis team. And they came out of the bat and lost their first two. So you put all that, you, you put all this stuff together, you look at the league, you look at the season. And then I, I just went, you know what? He's playing 11 guys, 14 plus minutes. That's not sustainable. And then you just start to put the pieces together. You know, you do a lot of research on that stat that I had the last 39 regular season champions. Only three of them have had 10 guys play double digit minutes. Um, and then, you know, I pulled that the, the quote from December and what he said Saturday night. And 
the one other thing was what he said in 2018 when he got the job, right? After Dan Hurley left was he was, they were coming off of two straight championships, a regular season and a tournament championship. And he said, that's the bar. Well, it's not sustainable to have 11 guys play 14 or more minutes. And he just put that all together and say, you know what? It's ego managing. He doesn't want to have the mass exodus like he had last year with five guys because it's a waste of time and effort and energy. And you put all those pieces together and you go, you know what? Something's got to be written. Somebody has to be held accountable. There's only so many ways you can make it positive when they're nine and 11 and six and seven clearly underachieving. Well, yeah, if you didn't read the article, that's basically all there summed up. I mean, I loved hearing it by the way. So it's just crazy how I feel like, as you said, David Cox is feeling very ego. He's coaching very egotistically with the mass exits, as you mentioned. But I also feel like he's afraid to make adjustments because like we saw in the Dayton game, they were doing good until this, this probably the last two minutes they started falling apart. You saw that slowly happen. But we saw no halftime adjustments from David Cox. We still saw the same amount of minutes from players that we were seeing. And it makes you wonder, is anything going to ever change? Or are we just going to go into a ball game hoping we're going to play 40 minutes of basketball with the normal things we're doing? It's not Arizona State anymore. We're not playing San Francisco or USF. We're 20 games down the road. We're playing 8-10 teams in a stretch of a schedule where we play a lot of games in a short amount of span. Of course, we have this upcoming two and a half weeks we have for makeup games. But you have this span where you're playing a lot of good games. You have to really bring your team together and work on individually beating team by team. And when you're doing the same thing, it's very easy to pick up. You make great points right there. A hundred percent. And, you know, we saw it last night. I know we're taping this on a, on a Thursday night, but we saw it last night, Wednesday against St. Louis, you know, Jalen Carey comes in and immediately turns the ball over. And the stat that I, that I put in the piece and everybody knows at this point, 12 assists to uh, 12 assists to 42 turnovers this season. And in the UMass game, after sitting 20 minutes between the first half and the second half, somehow he got in in the last five minutes of the game and had a turnover right away and still got to play two more minutes after that. And then, okay, sure. St. Louis, I get it. David Cox has told us a million times. His philosophy is if you show up and you work hard, you get an opportunity to play in the first half. We'll tailor it for the second. Jalen gets an opportunity last night. And finally, for the first time, we saw one of our adjustments, right? Something I mentioned in the piece, you know, Jalen Carey played three minutes last night. He had the turnover right away in the lane. He's, David Cox pulled him out and he never played the rest of the game. And maybe that's a reason why they kept it within seven to St. Louis, because it didn't feel like a seven point loss, right? It felt like a 15 point loss. When you play teams like that, who are, who are, you know, really good fundamentally defensively, they slow the game down. Um, a seven point loss feels like 15 and had Jalen Carey played his typical 14 or 15, like David Cox has played them all season, right? Regardless of production and bad production, Jalen Carey only plays three minutes, probably a big reason why they, it's a little bit closer than it is because had Jalen Carey been on the court, and you take out other players that have been doing better, whether it's, you know, Ishmael Leggett, his defense. Uh, I know offensively he wasn't great or Jeremy Shepard, or it just eats into other guys' time. So I felt like last night was the first time we saw an adjustment from David Cox. Um, 
And whether or not it was due to the piece, we'll never know. But uh, I'd like to think so. Yeah, one thing I want to bring up, you know, we had so many transfers coming into this year. And normally you see like a good balanced college team has maybe like two to three, maybe four transfers as to URI or teams of that nature have like a bunch, maybe six, seven, eight. I mean, the whole team right now is is transfers except for Fats, Antoine, Jermaine Harris. So do you think just having that d- just like mixed bag is kind of difficult to find that chemistry? And that's kind of why we're seeing such a disappointing season thus far. I think it definitely plays a role. You know, you knew coming in with freshmen and transfers, it was going to be tough. Um, but that's a great point, Colin. I mean, uh, the one thing I have to say to that is, and I know for, for, for instance, PC didn't have their guys come onto campus for basketball until late August. Right. So you or I got on campus July 20th. Um, and I asked the sports information department for that, for that date when I put that in my piece, because it's like, Hey, they got summer workouts in, they haven't been affected by COVID and they haven't, right. They haven't been on pause and they've played 21 games now which is like second most in the country. So through five or 10 games, that was my thought. My thought was, hey, Ish is new and then a ton of new talent. And then Makai got hurt. They're trying to put the pieces together. 21 games in though, just the sample size is too big to keep having that as your excuse. So if, if I looked at it in like a pie chart, it was, yeah, early on in the season, transfers and freshmen as like the biggest part of like why they had, why they couldn't play 40 straight minutes. And then as the season goes on, that becomes less of quote, the blame pie and the bigger slice of the blame pie becomes more of the coaching staff and the rotational issues. I think what I've recently realized this team and watching how slow they're progressing through the season is that first off, none of these players have been leaders. If we're being honest, right? All these transfers coming in, they were not the number one player on their team. They were a, a star, maybe a starter who played pretty well, but never really had that leadership mentality. Even fast Russell. I mean, he had Jeff down the last two years to help him by his side to really get things going. I think this team is like pointing fingers. Like you do something. No, you do something. No, you do something. No one's taking control of the team. We have Jeremy Shepard, not knowing what to do with the ball. He shoots a three or he turns the ball over. We have fast Russell taking shots at the end of the shot clock, just dribbling the clock out teams for dozens of seconds at a time, just at the logo. I, I counted like four or five times in the second half. We had the ball just dribbling at the top of the Billikens logo for 10 seconds, wasting time on the shot clock, not moving and not relying on each other because they're just pointing fingers and they're not doing anything themselves to get make themselves better. And I think that was a crutch in last night's game. It was a very one-on-one style game. They started hitting shots, but besides that, in the second half, they kept giving up you know, those same shots on defense, but they kept playing one-on-one basketball, which is really killing this team. DJ Johnson get the ball in the corner, turn, no one's there, take a shot. Jermaine Harris at the top of the key. He hits a three because no one's around him. No one's moving, cutting to the basket. No one's giving him a pick. Everyone's playing one-on-one basketball. And I think when you have five players playing one-on-one basketball, besides maybe who I really like, I I like Ish, I like Malik Martin. I think he plays hard. I like Mikel Mitchell, who's great down low. I like Antoine. Besides that, I think a lot of players playing one-on-one basketball and not thinking as a team, and it's really killing this team. I mean, they made 10 two-point shots last night. It was insane. Uh, what, what I want to say about last night's game, it was 
physically draining. Like I had no energy after the 11, after the buzzer hit at 11 o'clock. I watched the game with a good amount of energy. I was ready to watch it. And then just the way the style was, I mean, they were up and they collapsed and then they couldn't make a shot and no team can make a shot. I felt like all my pent up energy was absolutely drained. If I saw another one of those games, like right after, I would have fell asleep 10 minutes into the first half. It was just so physically and emotional because like you arrive going on a six or run. Okay. We have some spark. We're down seven. We're eight minutes left. You have a time. We can come back maybe. And then St. Louis get an a and one three, just crazy stuff. And it was so emotionally draining because these players, and that's what happens. We don't play team basketball. We know you come back on defense. You don't know what you're doing because you're not playing as a team. You're playing as one-on-one and it just, it just killed me. Yeah, no, you know, you make great points, Gavin. And uh, one big thing I can remember, um, and I had taken a video of it on my phone, so I'm going to pull it up. I know we're all audio here. Um, but as I get it, just I remember them getting beat down the floor last night um, on one possession. Do I even have it here? It doesn't look like I have it. Anyway, it was after a made basket, right? I forget who made the basket. You remember the play? I think it was in the first half. They got a bucket on the left side. And then right after that, which is like a Jamonta Perkins went up at 30 with the left-hand lamp. I think, I think it's what you're talking about, but. Yeah, it's a a different play. I think it was the second half. So you're, I make the basket. And on a made basket, they had two guys in the front court talk about who was going to guard the ball handler. And I think Alan Beatran was one. I forget the other right now. Um, Your, I makes a basket. And St. Louis goes down the court in probably three or four seconds. They don't put the ball on the court on the ball in the court. They pass it into a guard, maybe one or two dribbles, swing pass up ahead to a guy in the corner. No, no URI player was around him. Two URI players fly at him, ball fake, drive down to the middle, suck the defense in, and then they hit the shooter, uh, whose name I'm forgetting for three on the opposite wing uh, for St. Louis. Off of a made basket. You should always have a guard at the three-point line in the back who's at least can get down the court and match up easily. The fact that, like you just see, like no communication. I can't necessarily speak to the leadership that you talk about um, just because we're not there in person enough to make that claim. Um, I understand that that there's a lack of leadership. That definitely makes sense. But then that, to me, that goes a little bit of the blame back on the coaching staff, right? How do you get your guys, how do you sit down with your seniors and say, you know, Jeremy Fats, like you're our engines on offense, you're our engines on defense. You got to be there for, you you know, you got to be there for your guys. Um, So the leadership issue, I won't comment on, but uh, definitely lack of communication defensively, offensively. I mean, it's there and it's obvious. Um, And unless something switches sometime soon, I mean, they're lucky they're not going to Davidson on Saturday. Yeah, I just want to mention, I don't know if you remember this, Colin, or, or Maury, last year, when St. Louis came to visit Rhode Island at the Ryan Center, that was a game where the Rams couldn't score an offense and where, where you said no one, they got down the court and scored. I feel like Jordan Goodwin and Javante Perkins in that game last year at the Ryan Center in early March got many late-game baskets because Rhodey was just not getting back on defense, whether it was the whole team. I think that's you know, maybe St. Louis's strategy, but I feel like that happens to Rhodey more than a couple games a year because we saw it last year with David Cox and his crew with Jeff Dowden and, and in a game where they really fought back and really were down the whole time. They were down two or three, then they were down 14, and they came back, made it to four, and then every time you and I made a run, St. Louis would go down and score in four seconds, and like, well, the game's over. 
the, the thing with St. Louis, and you guys know this, they are just a tough, tough team in the A-10 to play. And if you get down, like we were talking earlier, a four-point deficit feels like it's 10. A seven-point deficit feels like it's 15. They just wear you down. So even if you have that run in you and you get back to a couple possession game, you're so beat because A, it's taxing just to defend them down low the way they like to bang. And B, you exerted all that energy on offense to get back into the game. And then you look up at the scoreboard, you're like, wow, yes, we're down four, we're down six, whatever the case may be. And then you maybe take your foot off the pedal for one or two possessions. And that's where they just dump it down low to French, bang, right? He hits you in, his, he hits you in your chest. You know, if you're Cyril or you're Mikel or whatever, you fall back a little bit and he has a little window and he lays it up off, off the glass. So it's just so hard to get over the hump when you find yourself in a deficit against St. Louis, the way they like to play physical brand of basketball. Yeah. I feel like Rody just lately, they've just gotten like drained, like the energy just like, it just gets sucked out of them. And we saw it, I think kind of more noticeably in the Dayton game where they had like a really good first half. I mean, everything was clicking for them in the first half. And then the second half was just god awful. I mean, they couldn't do anything. They just got out coached. They got outplayed. And I mean, I thought you talked about how David Cox is kind of a factor in all of this, like in your piece. And, you know, it's it's not like we're going to say, like, you have to fire him now. Like, I, I don't think any of us are going to be that drastic because this year is so much different. And I mean, you know, Gavin, and I thought the roadie's going to be decent this year. I don't think they were going to be that great. They definitely weren't you know, within the likes of St. Bonaventure, St. Louis or Richmond or Dayton, VCU, any of those teams, but at least they'd be competitive. At, at least they'd put up fights. So I don't know if, if it's more on David Cox or just the players or if it's fats needing to get this team going, but I don't know. It, it's just weird to not see anything change. And it's just like, it's just like there's a building that's on fire and David Cox is just, you know, putting around, not calling the fire department. He's like, this is fine. I, I can just let this burn down for a little bit. And, and it's just like, there's another turnover. There's another missed free throw. It's just, it's like the little things, which you think would be, would be fixed. I mean, you're going to turn the ball over. You're going to miss free throws. But when it comes at the rate that it happens, and when it comes late in the second half and the most clutch moments of games, it just takes the life out of them. And it just really has not given them a chance to win any of these, these games recently. Yeah, I mean, that was the point of the piece, Colin, exactly. Just the lack of adjustments, right? I mean, that, that was the title of my piece. It was, will David Cox make the necessary changes or change his approach? Um, because, yeah, 21 games in, you keep banging your head on the wall. I mean, you're, you're, you're approaching the game the same way, right? And, and it was, it's, it is, it's ego managing. I mean, that's what I called it. That's what it is. There's no other way to describe it, right? It's to keep parents and kids happy and it's coming at the expense of winning ball games. And he, he hasn't put his team in the best chance to win games uh, with his decisions rotationally. So uh, we saw a little change on Wednesday against St. Louis. You knew going in, it would be a very tough game to win on the road. So even if there were changes, it might not result in a win. Um, you just hope that those changes can now stay consistent uh, and the rotation can change a little bit when you go up against maybe a little bit easier competition in the conference. And then maybe you see, hey, instead of, you know, Rhoda used to be down two or three at the half. Oh, now they're up six like they should. Right. They kept they, they kept their foot on the gas. They kept a nice run. 
those guys stayed in the game where they should have, right? Instead of saying, uh, you know, Rody's up one or two, and then they just lose energy at the end of the first half, and they're down by a couple possessions. So I think the the, the changes rotationally will pay off um, if they stay with this. Hopefully they get four or five games under their belt making changes before the A-10 tournament um, because we can talk the A-10 tournament, but on a whole separate topic real quick, this team is good enough to win the A-10 tournament, right? I mean, if Fats Russell's 100%, I think they should sit Fats for the rest of the year, another conversation for another time. But if he's 100% or as close to 100% as he possibly can be, and they haven't shown they can play 40 solid minutes together, but if they do and they, they just have a hot weekend, the talent difference, St. Louis, St. Bonaventure, Richmond, it's not light years away like Dayton was last year. Yeah, and something to mention, of course, is I actually mentioned this to my brother. We're talking about URI and the possibility of even doing something in the A-10 tournament. I've, I've, I said, URI's always been recently a good tournament team. We've seen them make it to the semifinals all but one year since 2014, at least. I mean, one year they lost to UMass in the, the game for the quarters in that year where EC was injured and Hassan was injured. But besides that, they lost the semifinals in Dayton, had that one year, and then they won the A-10 tournament. They lost in championship to Davidson. They made that terrific run as the eighth seed, went to the semifinals, and last year we didn't have much. They looked like they could have made the semifinals, maybe beat Richmond. That's the way it was set up. But they've always played well in the tournament, and the way they have the talent perfectly matches a team that can go on a run over a span of three to four days. So I never thought the A-10 tournament was going to be not, not, not a big challenge, but it, I always had, I always have confidence when Rody goes to these tournaments because I believe they're somewhat ready. But as we go back, the, the place they're putting themselves in is not good. Like you said, the St. Joe's game, they probably should have lost, but you look back at games where they should have won the U, the first UMass game. They definitely should have won that game. The amount of opportunities and the chances they had, and they blew it. They were down 15 because they just played so horribly and they came back and almost won it. But they, they that game, they should have won. I believe they should have beat VCU at the end. I mean, you're up four, 46 seconds left. You got to win that game. You got to close out ball games. Some of that Colin, I have really, Express this year closing out basketball games is so key, but yet Rody still seems to fail in those high pressure situations. I'm pretty sure I don't know if it was in your article or I saw in a stat, I might have been in your article where Rhode Island is 0 and 5 in five point games, and it is just not surprising because we've seen them just every single time not be able to pull out a victory when it matters the most. The Duquesne game, you blow a 17-point lead, that's terrible. That is just not good basketball. And Cost comes out and says, you know, we, we played with no effort. We didn't deserve to win that game. But, but like, what did you do to, to help try to not lose that game? Like, I, I don't know what I saw, and it was – I guess I'm getting frustrated. Of course, I'm, I'm grateful Rhode Island's playing. I'm grateful, win or lose, that they have the second most games played in NCAA basketball. I, I'm glad to wake up and watch a roadie basketball game, win or lose. But it gets so frustrating post-game. You realize, well, that game, we probably should have won it. That game, we, we, we probably should have done much better than we did. But there was no adjustments made. We're just going out there and playing basketball and not even good basketball. Colin and I have talked about this again. 40 minutes. Of, we haven't seen Rhode Island really play 40 minutes of true basketball because they just either been lackluster through parts of it. They've gone through lulls where they can't make a field goal or they turn the ball over at will. And I think that's a big thing where it comes with Rhodey. I know turnovers and chemistry, but it's been different. I feel like at the beginning of the year, it was the amount of turnovers. Then during the middle of the year, it was the margin 
all right, if you can get down the margin of turnovers, it'd be better. Now it's the point where the turnovers are getting like they're lowering their turnovers, but they have points over five minutes. Say they have 12 turnovers in a game, they but have spanned from tw- the start of the second half to 15 minutes left in the second half. They turn the ball over seven times and lose a 15 0 run to Dayton, and you lose the game because of that one little run. They have these spurts, but they can't score, and it's just so frustrating. No, you, you make a lot of good points. And another thing we can even talk about is they don't even have a, a tough strength of schedule in the A-10, right? One time St. Bonaventure this year, one time St. Louis, right? I mean, they lost twice to UMass, but let's say it's uh, four games against St. Bonaventure and St. Louis. You're happy going two and two in those games. Uh, and you're probably going one and three. So uh, they avoid two games where they'd be heavy, you know, heavy underdogs in those situations. So you, you guys hit all, all the points on the head there. And um, you can look back at a season and say what it could have, should have, but I believe over the full course of the season, all that stuff evens out, right? You should have won the VCU game, but you should have lost the St. Joe's game. You know, you can go back and forth and kind of those things usually even themselves out over the course of a full season. Uh, but you're right. I mean, when you said 0-5 in, in, in games decided by five points or less, like I mentioned in the article, uh, they're 1-6. I looked in games decided by two possessions, so six points or less. And that happens when there's a lack of identity on the court. You don't know roles, late game situation. You have a tough time inbounding the ball. You have a tough time playing defense out of bounds. You're a suspect free throw shooting team. Uh, not to say that these have been issues all year with this roadie team, but it has popped up in certain situations. Um, and that's a big reason why they haven't been able to close games. And that's the difference between okay from an okay team to a good team and a good team to a great team. Can you close games? The last five minutes, can you treat it with the same amount of poise as you treat the first five minutes of the game two hours beforehand? And uh, right now this Rhode Island team hasn't. Um, and 21 games in, it'd be hard to say that there's a lot of optimism that it can change with only a few games left. So um, maybe it can. They have some extended time off now uh, before the Dayton game on Tuesday at home, which is senior night. Um, but you just don't know. You just don't know. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, when those games just get like near the end and it's you know, it's, it's clutch time. You need someone to step up. You need to make the right plays in order to win. You just can't really rely on it. And I mean, going back to like the VCU game, like I, I don't think you can put that much blame on Leggett for missing that free throw. I mean, th- there's so many things that could have happened in that game for in order for them to win. I mean, he had a great game. He was the best player on the floor. And I mean, they still lost somehow. I mean, he did everything he could to help that team win that game. He put his heart on the floor, but, you know, unfortunately it didn't go their way. But those those close games late in the second half, yeah, it's, it's definitely frustrating, as you mentioned before. Yeah, no, it's not. And he's definitely not the scapegoat in that game. They would have been they would not have been in that situation without, like you mentioned, his, his tremendous defense uh, on Highland and Baldwin and uh, scored a lot, scored 17 points. So he really did it on both ends. Um, one guy that gets off easy that game, not to harp on that game. Um, but is DJ Johnson, right? Goes to the line and misses the front end of a one and one. And then you just look at points throughout the game. How about late in the first half? They give up an easy, you know, it wasn't really a contested three, top of the key to end the half. VCU hits that on, you know. 
So those possessions, you have to treat every possession like it's the last one in the game because you give up a three ball midway through the first half because you were lazy on defense. Well, that comes back to haunt you, right? At the end of a game. So every possession like that matters. And that is the bigger issue from the turnovers. They don't value the basketball on a possession by possession basis. And then when it's actually time to run a play and, and, and to, to find a basket late in games, it's not, that's not what they've been doing the whole game and the whole season. So uh, it's hard to focus in and not turn the ball over when that hasn't been your moxie all season. Uh, and to be such a guard dominated team, it's just, it's, it's mind boggling to see, um, have two seniors in your backcourt. And I know the turnovers have come from other places. Um, but the fact that they have the ball in their hands that much and they're 280th, I think, whatever the stat was when I wrote the piece in the country and in, uh, turnovers per game. It's just, it's hard. It's one of the many things that need to be addressed quickly. So I really want to ask you, there's a couple things I want to ask you. First off, COVID has given players, these the seniors an extra year of eligibility. And of course you think, Oh, well, fast is coming back. There's no way he could stay for another year, but then you realize he hasn't been healthy all year. He hasn't been a hundred percent. You have Jeremy Shepard who has been at two different schools. He's never had a real home. And Rhode Island seems to be a fit for him. Do you think these players are seriously thinking about staying a fifth year like Fats or Jeremy? I think when you look at both of them, it would be hard to see Fats come back just with everything he's accomplished. Uh, I know he's not healthy, but here's the thing. A guard like him that's so, that's so you know, ball dominated, um, small, whatever he is, you know, you list him at 5'9", maybe 150 soaking wet, 160 soaking wet their pro career is only 10 years, you know, guys like that with a lot of miles on their bodies, by the time they get to 32, 33, they're slowing down big time. And when fats loses a step, that's what makes him different. When he loses a step, he's back in the rest of the pack, like many other guards. And then he's shorter and weighs less and does X, Y, and Z just the same as others. So his first step, his quickness, is his best attribute. So when you look at, okay, if he's going to be done playing pro basketball or his peak is going to be done by the time he's 32, 33, why burn a year in your early twenties going back to college when he came back and got his degree and finished as an all-time great, right? In Rhode Island history, he's going to finish first in steals um, unless something crazy happens and he doesn't have one more steal. Uh, he's going to be top 15 in points, top 10 in free throws, I think top 10 in three-point field goals. So, I mean, it's hard to come back after you get your degree and have such a great four-year season. And then why would you burn a year where you can go make six figures playing overseas? Or maybe you say, hey, for a year or two, let me give the G League and the NBA a shot and then go over and make a ton of money overseas, sort of like what Jeff Doughton is doing now at the Lakeland Magic. Um, so that's, that's the long answer of saying, I don't think so. I'd be shocked to see him come back. Um, and then with Jeremy Shepard, I think Jeremy has the better chance to come back. No doubt. You know, he hasn't played basketball, but he's an older guy, right? So like you mentioned, a year at East Carolina, a year here at Rhode Island, sat a year and played Juco a year. So why would he come back for his fifth year? And like I said, with fats burn his 23 or 24 year old year 
Um, he's not coming back for a thousand points. If he wants to come back to win a championship, that's a completely different story. And we see guys come back, whether it's Ethan Happ at Wisconsin a couple of years ago, or Luca Garza come back to win a national player of the year, be top five good with Iowa. There are certain situations where guys come back, but unless you're chasing something definitive, I just don't see it. Uh, I would say the better chance though, is Jeremy comes back over fats. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really seem like a desirable place right now with how they're playing right now. <laughs> Why would you want to go back to a sucky team that finishes under 500 and there's clearly, you know, internal issues within the team? But yeah, I, I could definitely see Shepard coming back. I, I think his game could evolve a little bit more. I mean, I've loved watching him play. There's just definitely some issues there. I mean, he's definitely a guy that can turn the ball over a little bit. But I, I still think he's a great player. He's got a pure shot. I do love watching him play. And then with Fats, like, I think you brought up a good point. And, and you mentioned this a lot on Twitter and a little bit in your piece. Like, how can you, like, be a Rhode Island fan and just, like, hate Fats Russell? I mean, like, I'm not the biggest fan of him, like, this year. But, I mean, he has done so much. I mean, they, uh, that, you know, when he was on the team his freshman year, there's no way that team would have gone to that ceiling without him and he took them to the top even being a freshman even on a team with ec matthews and jared terrell that had so much talent jeff doubton as well but i mean he's definitely progressed but he's also kind of fell over his past couple of years i mean he takes bad shots every game he takes some horrendous shots every single game but his impact on the floor is is insane i mean when he's fully healthy when he's able to go 100% every game you know he's going to make one or two plays that can just alter the course of a game and his stat line it's not going to be pretty i mean every game he's going to miss a majority of his shots he's not a very good three point shooter at all or from the field but he still finds a way to make an impact he still makes it so hard to guard you i mean he's just he just finds a way to just get through to be that kind of badgering presence for this team and for that, you know, he's definitely fun to watch. He's definitely put his time in and, you know, he's really made an impact over these past few years. Yeah, no. And the words I use are cherishing Colin, because um, for as long as you guys are running this podcast, I want you, I want you to give me a call the next time there's a potential fringe all American that steps through the doors at Rhode Island. And that's not to say, I hope there isn't one that comes through, right? Because as a journalist, I'm as middle ground as they get when a team's doing well, we give them their flowers. When a team isn't doing well, like I put in the piece, like the reason why I wrote the piece, if there's enough evidence and facts to support it, then you can write something like that, right? Where you constructively criticize a decision, a move, uh, a coaching philosophy. But, and, and I hope to cover a fringe All-American here at Rhode Island, you know, for as long as I work in this market. But you look at the history of Rhode Island basketball. They went to back-to-back NCAA tournaments twice since 1903-04, the first year they fielded a team. So it's not like you're, you're getting top guys that could be All-Americans, right? If Fats doesn't, you know, fade out the last four games of the season last year, or five games, and he played a lot of minutes and his body took a toll, he would have probably been a third-team All-American, right? There's some voters out there that like to vote a mid-major guy in there, right, who's had, who's had a really good season. So um, – I wouldn't bank on having many fringe all Americans walk through the door recently, you know, uh, in, in the next, you know, five, 10 years, whatever you want to say, maybe you get another coach of Dan Hurley down the line. Uh, if David Cox, you know, moves on, moves on to a better job, 
uh, it doesn't work out and he ends up getting fired, whatever the case may be. I'm not projecting anything here, but um, you, you just have to cherish a guy like that. A, he could have been selfish this year. The minute that he doesn't start to feel well, and Cox mentioned this, he wasn't 100% like in early, mid-December. He could have said, I'm top whatever all time here. I've won a championship, won an NCAA tournament game, almost brought us to the tournament my junior year. I'm, I want to look out for myself and go play pro ball next year. Why should I put my body through a season where there's no fans, travel stinks, uh, you know, who knows if there's going to be an NCAA tournament at that time, right? In December, it wasn't a guarantee that we were going to have a, a tournament. So you would have been like, oh, Fats is on the bench. Like, you know, he's not playing. He's, he's, he's selfish. Like he should be pushing it to get out there. This guy's put his body through pain, right? He comes out game after game after game. And that's part of the leadership uh, factor that Gavin, you mentioned earlier in the podcast. Um, that's leadership to me. That's going out and saying, hey, I came back for my senior year. This entire year sucks. The world sucks right now. The political aspect. I mean, everything is just, it's just an awful time to be a sports fan, everything, right? And like you said, we're happy there's games. But once you remove that aspect from it, you have to then dive into the games. And you, you just have to appreciate everything Fats has done. You mentioned it. Fats put that team a couple of years ago, his freshman year, over the top. I mean, he was a reliable defender and scorer off the bench. Would he miss sometimes? Sure. But when he pops for 20 against PC in a rivalry game, three games into his freshman year, five games, whatever it was, like those guys are special. Those guys are special. He's deserved to take the shots because no one else on that team has done a quarter of what he's accomplished. His junior year alone, let alone the three years he had, Okay. So it's like, sure. He misses a ton of shots. He does take horrendous shots. I'm the first to admit I'm, I have no dog in this fight. Like I said, my job is to be down the middle, good, bad, indifferent, whatever. But who do you want taking those shots? Do you want Jalen Carey? Do you want Alan Beatran? Do you want Mikel Mitchell? Do you want Makai Mitchell? Do you want Jermaine Harris? Who's four for 44 from three in his career. So you go down the line who else do you want taking those shots? Jeremy Shepard? Sure, you can make an argument he gets a couple more per game. Fine. Alan Beatran's 33% from the floor before the St. Louis game, and he was one for six. So he's straddling 30%. Who else is there on the team that you want taking the shots? Do you want to put in Brandon Board, the, the, the walk-on from Foxborough, Mass? I mean, seriously. So his numbers won't look good, but when he's on the court, Teams have to game plan for him offensively, and they know he's a pest on the defensive end, even when he's 80% from the floor or 80% physically. So it's like you have to just put it all into perspective and be like, man, when this guy is 100%, you saw what he did last year. He's a fringe All-American. Mikel Mitchell's 100% right now, and he's averaging 12 and 8 in the A-10 and is a solid piece. He's nowhere near being first team all A-10, mid-major, top 10 big, let alone be one of the top 15 players in the country. And for 25 games last year, that was Fats Russell. Rhode Island basketball had that piece. He's deserved every shot. He's deserved every minute. He's deserved everything he's gotten this year. 
because you wait a year, you wait two years, you wait three years. Like I said, for as long as you guys have this podcast, you give me a call in a couple of years. Oh, I wish we had fats back. I wish we had that defense all-time steals leader at 5'8 or 5'9. Set the program record with eight steals in that game we were talking about earlier, the home game against St. Louis last year. Guys like this do not walk through and have not walked through Kingston, Rhode Island. There's been a few, but he's in rare, rare, rare company. Well, that was a very compelling case for Fats Russell there, but I that's like your tweet. That's the Philly in me too. I've been yeah, watching. I guess so. Yeah, in the top prep right grade. there. <laughs> watching out, yeah, for Fats Russell. But I, I was in an advisory today, and I actually saw your tweets. Uh, someone was like bashing Fats, and you were continuously saying, "Cherish him, take these fond memories, and hold on to them." Because no matter how bad you think he's gonna be, it's never gonna be as good as the highs that he's had. Which Would I think is nine true. And, here's my question for you guys: Would they be nine and eleven right, or nine and twelve right now if he had if he didn't play a game this year? God, no, no. I see them winning four or five games. Okay. All right. So if, if you think you're better off with him, then you can go be a fan of Fordham. <laughs> you can go be a fan of George Washington, or you can go root for St. Joe's. But you're at 500 and you haven't played great. And that's with this guy. So he's kept you relevant, right? At least, you know, going into games, you have a fighting chance. If you put it all together, like we talked about earlier, they can beat anyone in the conference. He's off the court. There's no difference between this team and, you know, George Mason. So. And something I've said, I feel like, which I haven't said in a while, but back earlier in the season, I, I said, to, I mentioned this to Stone Freeman. We had him on earlier. I said it's a con a couple times during the season. Fats does his best, not when he has 30 points. Not when he has 25, but when he fills the box score, when he has six assists, when he has four steals, when he has eight rebounds, when he make, goes 12 for 12 from the free throw line, when you need him to in clutch time, that's when Fats Russell is this the idea of Fats, being that player that, he, that at 5'9 can still do everything. That's where I feel Fats is his best and where Rodon does its best with Fats on the floor, not when he takes all these shots, but when he does all the little things that other players don't. Not the extra effort and he goes in to get extra rebounds, where he saves balls going out of bounds, where he picks opponents' pockets and finds the open pass down court. That's when I feel like where that All-American kind of prowess comes together, where he can still manage to drop 21, but also share the wealth and do the little things to help Rodon win. It's the respect that he's gained over three years. Um, and sure, like you can look at this season in a vacuum and say, he hasn't been good. He hasn't, his rebounding numbers are up. Um, he's had a, a decent assist to turnover ratio. I mean, we saw him drop plenty of dimes against Arizona state and uh, a bunch of teams here, you know, he's, he's gotten better. He's going to turn the ball over. He's going to take horrible shots. I'm, I'm not saying he's not, but just everything else he does. Um, yeah, just senior night and, and that, that place would be rocking for him. Uh, if there were fans, you know, everybody would be on their feet. Um, because three years ago he was in the NCAA tournament pickpocketing Trey young, uh, and, and hitting a three to have PPG or PPG paints arena go absolutely bonkers. Um, so if you want to pick another player on the Rhode Island team right now that could do what he did in the NCAA, in, in the NCAA tournament against a future top five pick, no guy even comes close. 
right? No guy even comes close, let alone can hold their own, let alone can then make a play like that and then hit a three right after. So that's what it is. You get, you get caught up in the season and fans are allowed to do that. And I love to see people's reactions and I love to talk to people on Twitter and I love to talk to guys like you who know what they're talking about, who watch every minute of basketball, who can analyze stuff well. But then you have to take a, a couple steps back and be like, wait a minute. Take out the last three years of Dan Hurley's tenure at Rhode Island, right? Because that's when he really had the joint running and he had all the top guys. You look at like the Jim Barron years, you look at the early Hurley years, like the cupboard was bare. The cupboard was bare. Billy Barron, great. There's been great individual pieces. Delroy James, really good. Um, but man, where does Fats stack up? He's better than most of those guys. It's like him, Jared Terrell, Jeff Down, all the guys that have been in the last couple of years, right? Outside of that, there's been like one or two guys. So we'll see. We'll see. Okay, so I just thought of this right now, and Colin, you can give us your thoughts on this too. You're so high on fats, and I like people who love fats. I'm I don't hate people who love fats. I think I I try to take it. I know you try to be high on fats when you look at his career. Yes, yes, his career. Not right now. Obviously, right now he's struggling a little bit. No, right, right now my grade for him is he's been. I mean, he's really struggling, and and he's really. I think he's in some crazy physical pain, but he's a baller, right? He's he's Mm -hmm. a Philly dog, like we like to say back home. I mean, he's. I'd give him like a B minus. And the only reason why I would give him a B minus instead of a C plus is because he's hurt and he's playing through it. Um, Or else I'd be giving him a C, no doubt. Like he's been, he hasn't been that good this year, but just when you look at it from a full perspective, he's, he's, he's an A. Okay. So taking that off and con again, you can help us out here. I want, I want you to rank these players one to three. Okay. Yeah. Jared Terrell, E.C. Matthews, Fats Russell. So, well, first off, the disclaimer is I've only been here for three years, so I, I didn't cover uh, those those first two. Okay. Um, I mean, that's tough. Like, okay, we can switch it up. All right, Fats's ceiling was higher because of everything he did, like last year. Right. I mean, as great as EC and, and Jared were like, that's just tough. Like you're in a no win situation there. And, and I'm not about to be, you know, like a Stephen A or a guy that just, you know, is on a talk show just to get pe- to push people's buttons. Uh, and another thing I brought up on another roadie podcast I was on, I don't want to be known as like this agitator now in the market because I'm just had the cojones to like write a critical piece. Like I call it as it is. If it's not good, I'm going to call it that way. But if it's good, I'm going to call it that way too, right? So don't expect me to come out here and start to dissect every piece of Providence and URI and Bryant and Brown basketball on the market and just be this guy that just walks into press conferences asking brutal questions. I'm going to ask them when they're necessary, and I felt it was necessary. So to your point here, like I'm not going to rank the one through three. I just think Fats is ceiling nationally was a little bit higher Um due to what he could do on the defensive end. And that's not to say that, that EC and Jared weren't great defenders. Jared was in the NBA. That's might never make the NBA. Um, EC was a huge recruit as was Jared when Dan Hurley really started getting things going. So 
you put them in a class of their own because they put Rhode Island basketball on the map. Fats took advantage of, hey, EC and Jared put in all the legwork to get the program to where it was. Fats just then helped elevate it, right? Uh, as did Jeff, as did Cyril, as did so many other players. So it's hard to, to do that. I mean, they play different positions. Um, yeah, I'm just not going to do that. But they're, they're all tremendous. They're all, they're all in, in that top tier of Rhode Island greats. You look at Tyson Wheeler. You look at Reynolds Dean. You look at Lamar Odom. You look at Billy Barron, Delroy James. And then EC, Jared Terrell, um, Jeff Downton, Fats Russell. That's nine. Uh, Carl, uh, Silk Owens, Carlton Owens is up there. And there's a couple other guys. You know, when you rattle off these lists, you're bound to forget a guy or two. All right, well, that's 10 guys. Maybe there's five more. I mean, top 15 player, like all three of those guys that you just mentioned are top 15 players ever. The program has been going on 118 years. If you get one top 15 player throughout 118 years, that's doing my quick math is like one every, one every uh, 10, that's like one every eight years. Okay. Well, what year is it right now? It's 2021. If, if another Fats Russell doesn't walk through the building until 2029, I mean, this podcast is going to go up in flames, <laughs> right? I mean, what are you guys going to be talking about for eight years before you have another player like this? So I think when you look at it like that, you just have to appreciate everything that you guys have been able to watch for the last five years and, and appreciate players like this, even when the end and a lot of the times, right, we saw Tom Brady had a, had a tough last couple games in New England, then he goes to Tampa Bay. It doesn't always end well, but you just take two or three or four years down the line. You'll look back. Like my first market was in Wisconsin. You look back. It didn't end well with Favre in Green Bay, right? Rodgers came in and then Favre was, was putzing around with the Jets and the Vikings. He's beloved, right? There's just that there's a little bit of time where you're angry, you're frustrated. The guy doesn't have a last good season with you. Numbers are down. He's hurt, whatever the case may be but you just remove yourself two, three, four years from it, come back in like 2023. And then you're like, wow. Yeah. Wow. Fats was, Fats was the real deal. Jared was the real deal. EC, I wish we could have guys like that every year. And that's what it's been. And the expectation for this program has been so high. And that's another thing that David Cox is feeling the pressure, right? He overtook a program where a, he was the associate head coach. So he definitely had a huge hand in their success. But when you slide from the assistant coaching job, that chair, and you slide six inches over to the next chair, there's a whole lot more responsibility on your shoulders. And he, it's, it's been very tough to uphold the standard at, that Dan Hurley built it to be. Well, that's fair enough. You don't have to rank them. I just wanted to see because you made a great case for Fats Russell in his career. So that's just my opinion on it. And so basically – that's, I don't know. You made a good case for fast. Let's, let's say how it is. You made a good case for fast. I wanted to see how you felt out because when I got season tickets, I started off, it was the year they won the A-10 championship. It was fat. It was EC. It was Jared Terrell. I wanted to see how, but obviously you haven't been here long enough. So that makes sense. I, I get that. And I just have one last question. And this time, Colin, you can get in here with this question as well as you more, but 
to finish off, what is one piece of like if you were the head coach, if you were David Cox right now, what is one piece of advice or or, or uh, something to hammer home for this team to do that can help them win games, whether it's play style, minutes, or or whatever? What is one thing that you have to emphasize in practice if you want to start winning ball games on the stretch? Yeah, I think it's the rotation, right? It's control what you can control. He could he could have controlled that Antoine Walker played more than nine minutes in the first half against UMass. You can't control shots. You can miss shots, physical mistakes. You can't control turnovers. You can't control missed defensive assignments. You can't control communication. The one thing David Cox can control is who is on the court and who is on the bench. And if you continue to put your best players out there for as long as they can play, Rhode Island will be in a much better you – know, Rhode Island will have as, as good as a chance to win as, as that they can have. But when you, you sit a guy like Antoine Walker with 14 points and six rebounds and no turnovers and no fouls more than he played in the first half, that's not putting your team in best position to win. You control who's on the court. Put the best guys. I understand a lot of guys haven't had great seasons, Okay. Fats will be able to score you 14 or 15, even if it's on 16 shots. You don't want anyone else taking those. Jeremy has a chance to score. Mikel Mitchell has been good. Antoine Walker has been good. Okay? Those four need to play the bulk of the minutes because you're not putting Jermaine Harris in over them. You're not putting Alan Beatran in. You're not putting anybody else in over them. You still have to play them. You need five guys on the court. You're not going to play four on five but control who is on the court. That would be my biggest thing. And that was the whole point of the piece why I wrote the article because for 20 games, it was like a hockey team out there. Three and four guys at the scorer's table, guys coming in and out for no apparent reason. 11 guys at 14 plus minutes. I mean, I never heard of such a thing. And I've been watching basketball for almost 26 years that I've been alive. And you guys know the game very well. Never seen a, a basketball team. A basketball team, the best teams out there have rotations and roles seven, eight, nine guys. Maybe, maybe, maybe 10, not 10 at double digit minutes, let alone 11 guys at double digit minutes, let alone 11 guys at 14 minutes or more per game. Control what you can control. Put your best players on the floor for as long as they can. They're 18 to 22 year old kids. I guarantee you they can play more than 24 minutes a game, your best players on a given night, even if it's a big man and he's not used to it. You get TV timeouts every four minutes and each coach gets four timeouts. And when a player fouls out, that's another timeout. And when there's a technical foul and when there's a wet spot on the court and whatever, there's enough timeouts during a game, play your best players, control who's on the court. That would be my biggest piece of advice. Yeah, I would definitely say something similar. And I think it's just like, it's kind of like what you mentioned, like execution and discipline. I mean, these two things have plagued this team all year. And I think it just starts like when you take like the flight or the bus to like the road game is just maybe even just wear like a suit and tie, like something that simple. Just show up. Don't divert from the game plan. Like you're playing a college basketball game. You should not feel that entitled. Like you're playing for like, I love you or I, but they're only 
the University of Rhode Island. They're one of many college basketball teams. You should not feel like you're you have that higher sense of entitlement. Show up ready to play, look sharp, study film, be ready to go, show up on time. Don't act like you're higher up than anyone else because you're all the same. You're pretty much all the same. You know, Fats obviously has his record, so you know, he's a little bit different. He's he's accomplished a lot, but these guys are on an equal playing field. No one should feel like like they have like they're more important than anyone else. You have to play as a team, and then that should be enough to just go out there and play 40 minutes of basketball, play as a team, and then I think the results can start to show. And, and for me, it's piggybacking of what you said more, just the player minutes. We're seeing a lot of players get in when – you really don't. And something I want to express the little equation I made myself, Jalen Carey plus a full court press equals unlimited turnovers. And it's just something that you see over and over again. These teams like VCU and Wisconsin and Western Kentucky, they, they have half court press, full court press, URI, Jalen Carey, Alan Matran, they kept throwing the ball out of bounds. And it was or like just turn the ball or making bad passes. And I feel like you got to penalize, not penalize, but take into account what players actually help this team win basketball games and which players uh, digress the team from winning basketball games. It's one good play to three bad plays with him all the time. And you know it. He's going to have one really good steal, right? He's going to make one really good play. He's going to go – because Jalen Carey can jump. Let's be honest. He has probably one of the best verticals I've seen uh, on TV at, at URI. I mean, the what, he hits his head above the rim. One of the he'll best – have that put-back dunk or that big rebound. On the team. Yeah. Yeah. He'll have that put-back dunk, that big rebound. But then when it's crunch time, you're down five, four minutes to go. Like, all right, they just score. Let's go back and get one of their own. And you throw a bad pass to get a dunk, and then our crazy energy, and just give all the momentum away. It's killer. Good stuff. So we're, I think we should end it right. That's a good place to end it off right there. I mean, we can talk Gertie Hoops hours and hours <laughs> on end. I mean, I mean, this has been great. Thank you for coming on, Maury. Thank you for coming on tonight. For sure. Yeah, no problem, guys. Anytime. Gavin, Colin, you guys are great. Um, you guys do great work. Um, I have to continue to uh, I'll have to put the podcast in my my podcast lineup and uh, then continue to listen is what I was going to say. Um, but yeah, good stuff. I mean, it's awesome that you guys are so young and, and so passionate um, about it. And you guys come at, come at it from a from a fan perspective and I come at it from a third party Um but, and, and I'm not much older than you guys. So you guys definitely have a lot of, uh, you have a lot of continued success. You guys are right there. You're about to break through. Uh, I'm excited to see your own podcast and your own journey take off. Uh, you guys are only a couple of years from college and uh, that doesn't feel like it was too, too far removed myself. So I see a lot of great things in you guys. Um, and like I said, I'll keep, keep listening to the podcast and anytime you guys want me on, uh, you just give me a holler and, and I'll be here. Well, we appreciate the time. Well, thanks again to more for taking the time. And I know it was a pretty long interview, but it's great to have the time from a WPRI sports reporter from the state who covers Rhode basketball as well as he does. So it's an honor to even have him on. Yeah, definitely. It was great talking to him. We had a you know really great chance to talk to him. We went on for like an hour or so. It just kind of kept going. And even after the interview, we just we just kept chatting it up. That was really fun too. So it was definitely great to have a mom get his perspective on what's going on with the team. He's got a great job. I know both of us would, would love to have his job in the future. So it was definitely great to, to get a glimpse of what he does and how he covers roadie basketball. Definitely, Colin. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. I know it's a little different, but 
I'm pretty sure it meets the standards, especially exceeding the standards with Maury on the podcast. So as always, stay safe and roadie, roadie, roadie.